Recently, I had a conversation with somebody, and I was trying to explain to them what it was like growing up in a time when nothing was open on a Sunday. In a time when you had to get all the money you needed for a weekend out of the bank on a Friday before it closed. There were no money machines, no debit cards, and for me, a Sunday meant no sports, no games, just boredom. I explained that in my family, Sundays were for doing nothing except for going to church, and getting ready for going to church, twice, in the morning and in the evening. Now, it was far from a stressful day in my life. Every Sunday, I had to get up and put on a suit, at least a shirt and tie, and for a nine-year-old, I'd rather go to the dentist. I would spend 30 minutes in the bathroom with my dad every Sunday morning while he tried to part my hair with a curling iron. After years, eventually seeing him finally declare defeat was a sobering day in my mind. You would think that living in a world that shut down one day a week would have made all the difference. I'm not saying that the world didn't slow down, that there weren't moments of peace and tranquility. But doing nothing is not the same as resting. We are doing a series here about the practices of faith, the things that we can engage in that awaken us to who God is so that we can hear Him remind us of who we are. So today... Let's talk about rest. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. I just read for you the first three verses of the creation story found in the book of Genesis. Buried in that last sentence is an idea that has the potential, I think, to upturn the way we live our busy lives. This idea has influenced Jewish culture to this day, but I've never really noticed it because it just seems so subtle, so obscure, irrelevant even. I want to talk about Sabbath as a spiritual practice. And when I say Sabbath, I'm not simply referring to a day, but the moments of Sabbath, the moments of rest that fill us up. Traditionally, the argument for me has always been rooted in the next chapter of this creation story, where God, after creating the world and everything in it over the previous six days, finishes all of it and rests on the seventh day, declaring that creation is indeed good and everything, therefore, is holy and sacred. It seems that this sacred day is not an afterthought, the leftovers of a busy week. This was actually the climax, the point of it all, the pleasure of seeing all that was made and declaring it good. Now, an amazing argument can be made that God is modeling in this story something for us that is important for us to participate in, the idea of rest of taking time to reflect on all that we've done and to determine if it's good. And if it isn't, make changes before we begin the next day of creating and building in this thing called life. 
See, this is the argument Moses uses as he comes down from Mount Sinai with the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, these rules to guide these Hebrew people who've just left 500 years of slavery and are wandering through the desert in search of a homeland, the Promised Land. And in Exodus chapter 20, Moses gives the people these Ten Commands, rules to guide their social and spiritual lives. And one of them is this observation of a Sabbath, a day of rest, every seventh day. Moses says, For six days God made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore God blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. The command to Sabbath comes with a stark reminder. Moses tells the people, Remember, you used to be slaves in Egypt. Now imagine a command to stop living like you're a slave. (laughs) These commands were strictly enforced for centuries. The Sabbath was one of the commands that Jesus was constantly criticized for breaking over and over. And in Mark's biography of Jesus' life, he records one of those encounters this way in chapter 2, verse 23. Jesus was walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath with his disciples. And as they went, the disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You see, in principle, picking a head of grain was considered harvesting or work. So Jesus says to them, Have you ever read what David did when he and those who were with him were in need and in hungry? How they went into the house of God in the days when Abiathar was the priest, and they ate the sacred bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he he gave it also to those who were with him. And then Jesus said, Sabbath was made for man, and not man for Sabbath. And by the example he gave, it would appear that all of the commands then were made to serve us, not for us to serve them. Ironically, the Israelites didn't come out of 500 years of slavery only to be enslaved again by 10 commands. So Jesus will continue to break the Sabbath rule because he knows why it was made. It was meant to model a rhythm, the chance to rest and reflect, not meant to be an interruption in life. It's meant to be the point of life. Now, I think we get it backwards sometimes. There's no question that if more of us practiced the rhythm of rest in principle, our lives would be so much better, more meaningful. But too often we get so busy building a life that we never take the time to stop and examine what it is we're actually building to determine if it's leading us in the right direction. What ends up happening is disruption. Physical illness, mental illness, financial crisis, relationship troubles are often what brings things to a halt. And by the time we begin to reverse engineer the misery in our lives, what led to the chaos, it seems it's too late to change. And it's often just easier just to live in the dysfunction than trying to catch up. I don't know about you, but that's not been working for me. And if I can be honest, I don't know if it does work. If we don't stop, our bodies, our minds, our souls will do it for us. Theologian and writer Eugene Peterson says it well. He says, Our desire to produce, to work, to consume is so great, so strong, that the only thing that can interrupt it is a command to stop. Well, no wonder we're out of breath before we even begin each day. We're behind regardless of how much we can produce. The goalposts just keep getting moved. We leave one form only to be embraced by another. But God models something for us here that's significant. 
The importance of reflection, of ceasing, of enough, of stopping intentionally, not just as a disruption, but as the point. And perhaps stopping is a poor word to describe something that for the most part isn't actually moving. We live our lives under the assumption that time is rushing towards us and we are frantically grasping every experience, every opportunity that we have, because after all, we're not getting any younger. It feeds this voracious appetite that has turned us all into gluttons. But it's helpful here for us to acknowledge that time as we know it doesn't really exist. Albert Einstein helped us understand through the theory of relativity that time's an illusion. That this moment right here between all of us right now is the only moment that's real. Because the past no longer exists, the future doesn't exist yet, and I'm not trying to get trippy, I'm just trying to burst the bubble. And we feed this illusion by by believing that we hit the ground running each day and we are perpetually behind, trying to catch up to some mythical point where it will be enough. But will it? There will always be more to do. Some of us, I think, are afraid to even open our eyes each day for what awaits us. No wonder no one wants to stop. Once you've got momentum, don't get in my way. Stopping just puts us farther behind. To take time off, to rest, to relax, seems to be robbing us of all that's rushing towards us. I'll rest when I'm dead, the bumper sticker says. Let me share with you an alternative to that damaging philosophy. There's an older concept that may hold more truth and definitely holds more health, spiritually, mentally, and physically. Let me interrupt our thinking with something new. What if time isn't rushing towards us? What if we are all sitting still right here in this moment in what the ancients called the Holy Present? It's the only moment that the divine exists because it's the only moment that's real. This is where God is. Anxiety wants us to dwell in the future. Shame wants us to dwell in the past. But God wants us to live in this moment where the divine is present. So if time isn't rushing towards us, as the ancients will tell us, Instead, we are pulling the future into the present with every choice we make, with every decision, every movement, every intention, even every thought we pull that desired future towards us. So for the individual who chooses to never rest because there's too much to do, what is the desired future they're pulling towards them? Burnout? Sickness, isolation, loneliness, success, but at what cost? For the individual who chooses to invest in material things over relationships, what is the future they are pulling towards themselves with those choices they're making? For the one who chooses the easy way because it's quicker and it just seems like the least amount of effort, what future are they pulling towards them? When I share this model of time with those struggling with addiction, it helps them realize the agency they have Even in moments that seem out of control, instead of believing that you are behind and you just can't catch up, which often justifies thoughts of using or or numbing, because it will at least console, if, if only for a little while. But when they hold the concept differently, it changes things sometimes. You're not behind, I tell them. Nothing is moving till you make a choice. And even the decision to not do anything is a choice. That pulls a future towards you. To me, the practice of Sabbath or the practice of resting, of reflection, 
is the practice of breaking the illusion that time is all up to me. You see, to actually be able to get to a place where you can rest, where you can choose to lay down the tool, the job, the project, the plans, all of the things that have us so busy, the very act of setting them down is about trust. Trusting God. Trusting that God is enough and that God can provide. Not necessarily everything I want, but certainly everything I need. And even that requires trust. I've discovered this as being one of the greatest hindrances for those who are curious about Christian spirituality. It's this concept of trusting God. It's just so much easier when it's all up to me. I don't want to have to depend on anyone or anything else. I get that. But if it's all up to you, then you better not sleep. Perhaps if we stopped more, reflected more, we would discover that maybe our success hasn't been all up to me, but the collective efforts of others as well, the gifts of opportunity, skill, circumstance, geography. To appreciate all of these things allows a gratitude that can ground us. Otherwise, we're suffering an illusion. As Henry Nouwen so poignantly reminds us, when we start being too impressed by the results of our work, we slowly come to the erroneous conviction that life is one large scoreboard where someone is listing the points to measure our worth, and before we're, f- we're fully aware of it, we've sold our souls to the many great givers. But faith is acknowledging that we are slaves no more, that we just need to consistently remind ourselves that we are slaves no more. Trust, rest, reflection, these are all wrapped up together in this spiritual practice of Sabbath. Sabbath isn't just a day, it's a moment. In fact, it needs to be many moments. It happens many times in a day, it can. Moments where you just stop only to realize that you weren't going anywhere. You just thought you were in control. Sabbath is a moment when you surrender and trust God, where you, after working so hard for something, realize you just need to take some time to regroup, to contemplate, to meditate, to pray, to listen, to rest, to let go, to surrender. The quickest way to get where you want to go is to be present here, because this is where God is. So God has modeled something for us in that Genesis story of creation. Moses was on to something when he commanded a people who knew only the never-ending life of slavery that they must stop to appreciate the rhythm of enough, to trust not in what they can produce, but in the one who can sustain them. And we need to be reminded of this over and over. Moses knew a truth that still has teeth, We will leave the slavery of Egypt to be enslaved by something else. It's what the Exodus story shows us, and it's what we need to be reminded of. For Christians, we've gathered once a week for 2,000 years for that reminder, to participate in a rhythm of enough, to be reminded that we can trust God, that there is a time to work, time to try, to push, to build. There's also a time to trust and surrender. We are reminded to, through songs, through scripture, through the presence of each other, the interruption to gather. The fact that on this Sunday morning, you've all chosen to come to a place to be inspired, or if you're, just, if you're listening, you've all chosen to take time to listen, to be challenged, to participate in the practice of this 
caring, this patience and love of how this may affect you and your those you come in contact with. This is absolutely sacred. You are taking a hammer to the change of industry and ego and greed that can so easily enslave us. And for an hour and a half, for those who come to the parish on a Sunday morning, you trust, you surrender, you Sabbath. Moments of reflection and contemplation desire to happen all day long, though. Not just inside the walls of a church. Sabbath can happen in cars, around dinner tables, walking a dog, laying under a tree. There is no exact time on a Friday evening that it begins. But tradition states that Sabbath starts when you can count three stars in the night sky. For those who wonder why they start on a Friday evening and not on a Saturday morning, why not just get a full day in? Once again, this practice is rooted in what Judaism says God has modeled for us in those three opening verses of the creation story that I read at the very beginning, specifically the third verse. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. It's interesting that this verse and the following ones teach that the Hebrew concept of day begins in an evening. Now, this would make no sense to those of us who are used to days beginning in the morning when we arise with an alarm clock and a whiff of coffee. We work all day aching for it to be over so we can crash, so we can rest. But in the Jewish concept of day, the rabbis teach that God is modeling something very different in verse 3. Each day begins with rest before we rise to work. It was evening, it was morning, day one. What a concept. Talk about practicing trust. Eugene Peterson writes in a way wanting us to imagine this perspective. He says, Imagine after we sleep, we awaken to find that God has been working while we have rested, making dew-covered spiderwebs, cherry blossoms, and puppies. We learn that even though God doesn't sleep, we can. Understanding that God provides for us in our sleep, we are freed to live with less anxiety. We work from a place of rest rather than desperately needing rest from our work. We are human beings, after all, not human doings, he writes. Engaging in the concept of rest and reflection is, as a spiritual practice doesn't come with the guarantee of unbelievable success at work. But engaging in moments of Sabbath rest as part of a rhythm of your life will present to you the experiences that can only be had when you are open to what God is doing, when you can trust in God's wisdom and guidance, when you realize you're not behind. You're right here now in the only moment that is real. You're not alone. God is here with you, always has been. But are you aware of it? Perhaps this is the secret to why Jesus could sleep with his head on a pillow in the bow of his ship during a storm. Surrender leads to unbelievable rest. It has the desire to change how you experience your day. What can happen when our eyes are shut can alter the perception of what we see when they're open. <laughs>